Have you found yourself at some point in life or at some point during this quarantine saying something that you just know isn't true or it doesn't really seem to flow with reality? See, a lot of things in life are easy to say and a lot of things right now are easy to say, but many of those things that are so easy to say are really difficult to live. And sometimes, let's be honest, what we're saying is so easy to say, we can easily forget that it's not really true. In other words, if you hear people say something long enough and repeat it loud enough, eventually you might begin to say it and forget to think about whether or not it's actually true. And that's why I called these few weeks easy to say. So we could take a few moments together to think about what we're saying, think if what we're saying is worth saying, and find out if maybe there's something better to say when we realize our words haven't pointed us in the right direction. And here's why this matters so much. Our words seem like such a small thing, but our words are a big deal. See, here's what King Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, here's what he had to say when it came to our words. In Proverbs chapter 18, he said this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let me read that one more time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, saying that the tongue has the power of life and death, it sounds extreme, but let me try to break down how I believe that this is actually true. See, our words shape our thoughts, our thoughts shape our actions, our actions shape our habits, and our habits eventually build our life. Let me break that down a little further. Our words shape our thoughts. It seems like our thoughts should shape our words, and, and, and let's be honest, maybe that's how it should actually work, and that's probably how it should work, but it actually works the other way around. If we say something over and over again, we actually talk ourselves into believing and thinking something. Our words shape the way that we think. Then our thoughts shape our actions. If I think I'm capable of doing something, I'm much more likely to try to do that thing. If I believe I'm not capable of something, I'll never try that thing. If I'm not convinced something is right, I won't do it. Our actions are ultimately shaped by our thoughts. Then our actions shape our habits. Every time that you do something and every time that I do something, it becomes easier to do that thing again the next time. With our actions, we form pathways. We form pathways in our mind. We form pathways in our actions. We form pathways with our hands and with our feet and with our mouth. We form pathways with our actions that get repeated over and over and over again, and they become habits. And then what you and I know is true is that our habits ultimately build our lives, that your life and my life is divined by the things that we repeatedly do. The things that we do over and over again, sometimes without even thinking about them, those are the things that end up building our life. Let me give you a few, a few ways that this plays out. For some people, and I know this is true, I know that this was true for me early on in my life, I believe that the Bible was too hard for regular people to understand. So, we think, so, so I, I kept thinking, well, yeah, I probably should read the Bible, but the Bible is too hard for people to understand. I kept telling myself, the Bible is too hard to understand. I could never understand the Bible. Words. And now because of my words, I began to think, well, I now believe that some people can understand the Bible, but I can't. Now that's a thought that's, that worked its way into my mind. And since I can't understand the Bible, I never try to read it myself. I don't take an action. And since I didn't read it yesterday and didn't read it the day before and didn't read it the day before, it was easy not to read today, and it'll be easy not to read tomorrow. It becomes a habit that I don't read the Bible. And after many days and weeks and months and years of not reading the Bible, I'll now live a life that feels disconnected from God. Life. It goes words, thoughts, 
actions, habits, life. Here's a way that this can play out in a good way. Maybe you've found yourself, like many people find yourselves saying at some point along the way, that you're just bad at relationships. I know many of us have said that to ourselves. But what if you decided to tell yourself, or what if someone looked you in the eyes and said, you know what, I know you think you're bad at relationships, but you're good at relationships. In fact, I have a friend who was once told that by someone. They told him, I want you to wake up every day. I know you think you're bad at relationships, but I think you're good at relationships. So I want you to wake up every day for the next week and tell yourself, I'm good at relationships. And so he began to do that. So he said, okay, well, I'm good at relationships. And then he began to believe I actually could be good at relationships, but what would a person have to do to be good at relationships? And if I'm, if I'm going to be good at relationships, I want to be a loving person. That was the words that they chose. I want to be a loving person. And if I want to be a loving person, what does love require of me? That was the thought that drove him. Love will require me to be an encourager. Now that's, now that's an action. It's something that it's going to require of me. I'm going to be a loving person so that I'm going to be an encourager. And encouraging people every day became a habit for this person. The action turned into a habit. I'm going to find a way every single day to encourage someone. And at the end of a life spent every single day encouraging, 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 you develop a reputation where as a lifestyle, you were an encourager, which made you a loving person because you were good at relationships. It all started with words that led to a thought, that led to an action, that led to a habit, that ultimately built a life. So it's important for us to pay attention to our words because our words will build our life and the way that we talk about life now will build the life that we build moving forward from everything that's happening in our world right now. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about the second phrase that I think is really easy to say but difficult to live out and is in fact not even something that we should try to live out. The phrase that I want to talk about is simply this, I can't wait to get back to normal. I can't wait to get back to normal. Let's be honest. You've thought it. I've thought it. You've said it. I've said it. Every single one of us has thought at some point along the way where life has gotten crazy, where life has gotten weird, where life has gone all over the place. We've thought, man, I just can't wait for life to get back to normal. And I think most of us, when we think of those things, we're thinking about the comfortable things. We're thinking about the things that, that made life comfortable. We're thinking things like, well, I can't wait to get back to work. I just, I just want to be productive again. If you've lost work, it makes sense for you to want to get back to work. You're thinking, you know, isn't the extended vacation nice? You're thinking, you know, I'm kind of going crazy. I would love to get back to work again so I can do something productive again. Or maybe some of you are thinking, I can't wait to have a reason to put pants on that don't have an elastic waistband. Matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, we came to record the, the message, and I said to Devin and to Issa, who were in the room, I said, yeah, this is actually like the third day in a row that I've put on like jeans or like khakis or something that has like a button and it didn't have elastic waistbands. And they both looked at me, and I swear it was in unison. They both said out loud, who are you trying to impress? I mean, like for many of us, we found ourselves like sweatpants, stock, high, you know, athletic shorts, stock, high, yoga pants, stock, high, jeans, stock, low. And some of us are going, man, I wish that I had a reason to put on some jeans. I wish that I had a reason to put on a belt, but it would be great to have something to give me a reason for that. Some of you are thinking like I'm thinking, I can't wait to never have to Zoom again. 
I mean, I like thank God that there's technology like that that keeps us connected and allows us to connect with people during during the times like this where we can't see each other in person. But I, for one, am a person who I will not miss Zoom at all once life resumes to, to kind of getting back to normal. I will not miss Zoom one bit. As a matter of fact, once we're all able to get back to some sort of normal routines, I'm going on a Zoom fast and it will be the easiest fast of my life. Now, some of you, you're thinking, I can't wait to have a reason to do my hair and put on makeup again. And if that's you, some of you just got really offended when I said that, that, I, that I'm not going to miss Zoom at all, because for some of you, Zoom is the only reason that you have done your hair and your makeup in the last few weeks. And so some of you, maybe you're like Pastor Devin, though, and you're thinking, I just can't wait till I can get to a barber and get my hair cut, or at least I'm hoping that that's what he's thinking. You know, I, I get why we say it. There's a lot that we miss about normal because it was familiar and it was comfortable. And so we say things like, man, I just can't wait to get back to normal. Here's the problem, though. Normal was jacked up. Normal was jacked up. Here's what normal was. Normal was stressed. Normal was tired. Normal was rushed. Normal was families struggling and fighting for their relationships. Normal was feeling like you couldn't ever keep up with everything that was going on. Normal financially was broke and stretched well beyond our means. Normal was unhealthy. Normal was stretched to our breaking point. In fact, there's another thing that's kind of become easy to say during this time, but it's not exactly true. A lot of people, and myself included, have found ourselves saying things like, this time has been really stretching. And for most people, let's be honest, for most of us, this hasn't been a difficult time because it's been a time of stretching. It's been a difficult time because this has been a time of the world contracting. Let me do my best job to, to talk about and show what I, what I mean when I say that. Our world and most of our lives have become incredibly stretched and thin. We had gone really wide with life and treated the most important things as just another thing that deserved a little bit of our attention. So we paid a little attention to family, a little to our relationship with our spouse, a little to our relationship with friendships, a little to our weekend plans, a little to intramural sports or youth sports, a little to our faith, a little to our team, a little to going out with the boys or girls, a little bit to, to shows that we're binging on Netflix, a little bit to Facebook and the gram, a little bit to cable news of your choice, a little bit to classic shows that we like to rewatch, a little to exercise, a little bit to a bunch of different apps on our phone, a little bit to eating healthy, a little bit to what we're going to eat on our cheat days, a little bit to our hobbies, a little bit to our phone, a little bit to school or learning something new, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, and a little bit there. And for a long time, life kept stretching us out and stretching us thinner and thinner and wider and wider and wider and thinner and thinner and thinner. And that's why this time has felt like such a shock to most of our systems. Because in a matter of a week, life went from being very, very wide and very, very thin to being chopped down to the very, very essentials, the very fundamental basics and the foundations of life. And what many of us found out was that while life was getting wider and wider and wider and thinner and thinner and thinner, we had neglected the foundational pieces of life. And all of a sudden, when life just became home and family and family and family and a few close friends that we can get in contact with and God and myself, what we found out was that we had neglected those foundational pieces at the sake of all the other little things that had gotten so much of our attention. 
And so all of a sudden, the idea of being at home with your kids became a really scary thing, thinking, I don't know if I actually like my kids enough to want to be home with them constantly for the next four weeks. All of a sudden, being at home with your spouse, it didn't sound like something to enjoy because it was something that you knew eventually you'd go to work from. All of a sudden, it became, oh my goodness, I don't know if I like this person enough. I don't know if we've built our, our relationship enough that we're going to enjoy being around each other 24 hours a day, nonstop for the next four weeks. All of a sudden, it became, do I have the type of relationships and friendships that are deep enough with someone where they'll actually want to check in with me? All of a sudden, it became, man, I don't know if I have the type of relationship with God that can sur survive without church. I don't know if I have the type of relationship with God that can survive you know, uh, four weeks of isolation. I don't know if I know how to relate to God without other people being around. It's easy for us to say, I can't wait to go back to normal. But if we're all being honest, very few of us should want to go back to normal. Because normal, if we're being honest, normal wasn't doing anything good for us. Normal was killing us. And so what I would love for us to do as Movement Church, as people who are watching and joining online, I would love for us to embrace a better idea, a better phrase, something that's better to say. It's not as easy to say, but it's better to say. And here's what I would love for us all to say. I would love for us to say, I can't wait to go back to life better. I can't wait to go back to life better. That when life starts moving again, I can't, I don't want to go back to the same and I don't want to go back the same. I want to go back to kids' sports, and I want to go back to work, and I want to go back to school, and I want to go back to interactions with our neighbors, and I want to go back to our finances. I want to go back better. I want to go back stronger. I want to go back more resilient. I want to go back more focused, and I want to go back more focused on what matters most. I do not want to be stretched so thin that I, that I feel like I'm falling apart and I feel like I can't keep up. I want to go back focused on what matters most. And so in the book of Romans, Paul outlined a way that we can actually do this, a way to go from the life that we were all living that felt so normal and felt like it was so normal, we couldn't even really break from it, that shows how we can go from a life like that to experiencing the change that God would actually have for us so that we can go back to life better. Now, the verses that we're going to get to in Romans 12, they're going to sound very, very familiar. These are kind of some famous passages. But the thought that the, the instruction that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12 actually begins with the foundation that he sets at the end of Romans chapter 11. Here's what he says at the end of Romans chapter 11. He goes into this thing that kind of became a hymn in the early church, a song that they would sing. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Here's what Paul was saying. Everything good in this life, it comes from God. In God is wisdom and knowledge far beyond any human understanding. In God, there is perfect judgment. Your judgment is flawed. My judgment is flawed. You've made some terrible decisions. I've made some terrible decisions. God has never once made a bad decision. His judgment is perfect. In God, there is perfect counsel that when you don't know which way to turn and you want to call your mom and you want to call your dad and when you want to call your best friend and all of their ideas and all their advice seems to pull you in different directions, their advice may be flawed, but God's counsel is perfect. God is always the giver and he's never in need. Everything good has its beginning and end 
in him. And because of that, he deserves all the praise and all the honor and all the glory and all the attention. That's the foundation that Paul sets at the end of Romans 11 that leads into what we're going to read and what's going to sound really familiar from Romans 12. And so then Paul launches into this. He says, therefore, in other words, because of all that, because everything good comes from God, because God is the source of every good thing that you will ever have and everything that you will ever need, because God is the source of all good in this world and in this life, Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Here's what Paul says, because God has been so good to us, because God has been so merciful and so gracious to us, our natural response isn't to say, thanks, see you again when I need you. Although that's what most of us do when it comes to God, isn't it? We, we come to God out of our need. We get what we need from God and we go, thanks, I'll come back again later when I have another need. Paul says that's not the natural response when you really understand how good God has been to you and how God good has, how good God has been to me. Paul says the proper response to that kind of grace and the kind of grace that God has shown to us is to respond with full-fledged surrender to God, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude for everything that he has done and everything that he is to us. And now here's the verse that I really want to key in on. Verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this age. In other words, don't go along with the pattern of everything else that the world around you is doing. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, here's how most preachers preach this. You should look different, sound different, talk different, enjoy different things, be different because Jesus has changed you. Jesus makes you different. Here's what I know and here's what you know. It's possible to be different without Jesus. And it's possible to be different without actually being better. It's possible to be different without being stronger. It's possible to be different without being more focused on the things that actually matter most. It's possible to be different without Jesus. At least I say it this way. Different is just different until different is directed by Jesus. Different is just different until different is directed by Jesus. Until different is directed by Jesus, different might just be weird. Until different is directed by Jesus, different might just be spinning your wheels. Until different is directed by Jesus, different might not be of any value to you. In fact, if if, if we're just living in the world as, as the world is, different might actually hurt you. Different might cause you to lose some things, but Jesus directs our different by transforming our lives, and Jesus accomplishes this by, as Paul says, by renewing our minds, by changing the ways that we think about life and family and finances and relationships and forgiveness and time and our bodies and our whole lives. Jesus takes the broken ways that we think about life and the way that we've thought about life, and he transforms our minds to think about things the way that he would have us think about things. See, I don't want to go back to normal. I want to go back to life better. I want to go back better. I want to go back stronger. I want to go back more more focused. And for me to go back to life better and for you to go back to life better, 
Every single one of us, at some point along the way, we have to make the decision to give Jesus full access to our thoughts and our hearts and our relationships and our way of handling finances and our way of handling forgiveness and our way of approaching our marriages and approaching our relationships with our kids, our way of handling everything. That maybe, just maybe, we could echo the prayer of King David when he prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. He said this, see if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, God, examine my heart, examine my mind, examine my relationships, examine how I think about life and how I think about others. And God, if there is anything in me that offends you, and there will be, I give you permission to bring it to my attention and to tell me what to do to change it. Please show me if there's any offensive way in me, and I know there is. And God, I give you access and permission to help me change, to make me better, to give me strength, to give me vision, to help me know what to do, and to actually have the courage to do something about it so that I can build a new and a better way, and a new and a better life. So, Here's three ideas or three things that I think we should all specifically give God access to when it comes to our thought lives. Three ways to allow God to make us better before we move back to life. The first thing that I think we should all specifically give God access to is how we think about spiritual growth. See, if there's one thing that I think we all should have figured out at some point along the way during this time, it's that if our, if our spiritual growth depends on sitting in church for one hour a week, you're spiritually dead in the water. And let me just say this. If your spiritual growth depends on one hour a week gathering together with us online like we're doing right now and getting some teaching and some encouragement and some worship in, you're still spiritually dead in the water. See, what I know is, I, like, I'm, I'm a pastor. I believe the one hour that we gather together, it's, it's important. It's important to get that kind of encouragement, to get solid, practical, biblical teaching, to worship together, to join together in community online. I, get the, I think it's important. The one hour matters. But what I know and what you have hopefully figured out is that there's the one hour matters, but there's 167 other hours in your week every single week. And what you do spiritually in the 167 other hours will always trump in your spiritual growth what happens in the one hour in church. And so I think it, it, it should bring us to, to think about, well, what can I do outside of that one hour that helps me to grow my faith? So what if you decided that you were going to come out of this time with a habit of growing spiritually? What if you came out of this time with a Bible habit that gives God a continual place on your calendar where God has access to your heart and your mind? What if you came out of this time with a daily habit of spending some time in prayer? What if you came out of this time with the habit of fasting a meal each week to remind yourself that you don't rely on bread alone, but you rely fully on God himself? So here's the thing. A fresh start and a move towards spiritual growth can happen and can begin today. And I would suggest it can begin by you opening your phone's calendar as soon as this service is over, or even do it right now. You can pause this and I'll come back. You can begin it right now by opening your calendar and putting God on your calendar every single day. That when you wake up or before you go to bed or when you're eating breakfast or when you're eating lunch, that you would spend some time every day with God. That you can grow spiritually. And when the doors of a church are closed right now, Spiritual growth can still continue because growing in a relationship with God is not limited to what happens 
in a church building. The second thing that I think we should all give God permission to, to examine in our lives is the way that we think about family. See, what I know and what you know is that your family will either exist for a purpose or your family will exist. And sometimes your family will exist by accident. Most of us let our family, our family simply exist and we never decide what our family exists for. A family without a purpose ends up fighting with each other a lot. But a family with a purpose ends up fighting side by side for something that really matters. See, a family without a purpose tears each other down, but a family with a purpose builds each other up because we're on the same team working for something greater. And at some point during this time, I just think it would be great if you thought about your family and if you're a single person, think about the family that you want to build. If you're a family with young kids, if you're a family with middle school kids, high school kids, if you're an empty nester and you're trying to figure out what your relationship with your kids and your spouse looks like at this point, I think it would be a great time while the rest of the world is really, really quiet and your time with your family is at a maximum. You should ask yourselves the same question that echoes the question Joshua asked the Israelites as they entered the promised land and a declaration that he made about his own family. He said this, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. In other words, you're going to live for something. It can be for God or it can be for something less, but you have to make that choice. You should choose what your family will exist for. Then he said this, as for me and my family, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do whatever God asks us to do. That's If you're wondering what Joshua's family is up to, we're going to be serving the Lord. That's our greater purpose, to serve God. Now, I, I, we took this to maybe a different level. We, maybe, maybe the same level, I'm not really sure. For our family, when, when Jalen and I got married, we, we had the service and we had the ceremony. But shortly after, after we were married, we sat down and we talked about, well, what, what do we exist for? Like, what's our purpose? What's, what's our purpose in existing as a family? And here's what we came up with. We're the Weisses. We serve God by serving the local church with everything we have. And let me just tell you what, I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty simple phrase. And in, as, as a pastor, it's not even really that hard to, to figure out that that's what we're going to be about. But that simple decision has driven literally everything else that we've done in the last eight years. We just celebrated eight years of marriage a couple weeks ago. That decision, that purpose statement, has driven every decision that we have made for the last eight years. We're the Weisses. We serve God by serving the local church with everything we have. And I'm not saying that should be yours, but you need to decide yours. You need to know your family's purpose. Because knowing and deciding your purpose will help you build and lead and grow a stronger, better family. Now, the third and final thing that I think we should all give God specific access to and, and allow God to examine in our lives is the way that we think about in our relationship with time. Now, right now, time is, is such a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, I, it, it just kind of all, every day kind of blurs together. It's like it got light, it got dark, got light, it got dark. I don't know which day it was, but I know it got light and then it got dark. And I've even seen some of you guys joking around on social media that we should return to that system we all had when we were younger where, where our underwear had days of the week. It's like Monday, all right. The problem with that right now is none of us know when Monday is. We wouldn't even know which underwear to put on, right? And so every, everything kind of is, is, is sometimes moving really slow and then other portions of time seem really, really fast. Time is just an odd thing right now. Days feel stretched out because schedules have been erased, which can lead us to believe the illusion that time is just going to go on forever. 
But what we should learn about time from everything that we're experiencing right now is that time doesn't go on forever. We're not promised tomorrow. And we should live to utilize our time to make the biggest difference that we can possibly make and to be the wisest with our time that we can possibly be. And so how, so the question becomes, well, how do we make our time count? How do we make our days count? How do we choose to, how do we be wise with our days and make sure that our days count? Here's the thing that I want to make sure we understand. You'll make your days count when you realize that your days are numbered. The more that you realize that your days are limited, that there is a number, that there is an endpoint, the more that you will understand the value of making the most of today. The more that you understand that there is a day where everything will come to a close and everything will come to a finish, the more that you will make the most of every day and that you'll make the most of today. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, Moses wrote this. He said, teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. In other words, Moses, he prayed to God, God, would you help me and everyone that I lead to understand that our days really are numbered, that there is a limit to the number of our days. We don't get to live forever. Because God, if we'll understand that our days are numbered, we'll make our days count. Now, here's the thing. I think every one of us, we should ask ourselves this question. God, how would you have me use my time? God, if, if, if you'll help me understand that my days are limited, I want you to still guide how I use my days. So God, how would you have me use my time? And I don't know what that answer is, is, is to that question is for every single one of you, but I'm pretty sure social media and binging Netflix come in pretty low on the wise use of our time spectrum. Now, there was something that my pastor said growing up. I remember my, my pastor, Pastor Sam Tim, um, he was our pastor at our church for 18 years, basically the entirety of the time that I was growing up. And right towards the end of the time before I graduated high school, he began a series that he called in the wilderness. He didn't know it at the time and none of us knew it at the time, but that series would go for about 70 weeks. It was the longest series that I've ever heard of in my entire lifetime. We will never do a 70-week series, but he didn't intend on doing that either. And he, his, the, the series was basically revolved around paying attention to the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness while they were in the wilderness, lessons that they learned in the wilderness. And as he got towards the end of the time, he began to talk about that the nation of Israel, eventually they were no longer in the wilderness and that they would eventually move into the promised land. And he, and he said this thing that I, it just will always stick to me. He said, don't forget in the promised land the lessons that you learned in the wilderness. Don't forget in the promised land the lessons that you learned in the wilderness. See, some of you, you have learned some incredible lessons right now, even though it seems like it's been a difficult time. And let's be honest, it's been a difficult time for some of us. But you've learned some things about yourself. You've learned some things about your relationship with God. You've learned some things about your relationship with your spouse, about why things didn't work before and what actually is making them work now. You've learned some things in the middle of this wilderness moment, in the middle of this difficult moment. And what I would say to you, and I would say to you to perk up your ears right now, don't forget in the promised land. When life goes back to a little bit more normal, when everything starts moving again, when the pace starts to rush again, when everything seems to be screaming for your attention again, when life starts moving again, don't forget in that promised land the lessons that you learned in the wilderness. 
in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the dark time, in the middle of the rough time. And some of you, you had to fight for these lessons. You had to fight to learn these lessons. But you've learned them. And don't you dare. I rarely say don't you dare. But don't you dare forget the lessons that you've learned right now. Because if you if you forget the lessons that you've learned right now, pretty soon you will have gone back to normal. But you will not have gotten any better. See, I don't think any of us really want to go back to normal. I think every one of us can go back to life better. So let's give God access to our hearts, our minds, our words, our thoughts, our relationships, our finances. Let's give God access to our entire lives, our calendar, our schedule, everything about us. And let's let God renew our mind, change the way we think about everything in our lives to make us better. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in your word, you give us direction, you give us an answer, you give us a way forward for how to move forward, for how to change, for how to transform our lives by the renewing of our minds. God, thank you that you give us your word and you give us this direction. God, I pray that for every single one of us, I pray for myself, for every person watching this, I pray that we would give you access right now to our hearts and our minds and our lives and everything that we have. And God, that we would say what David said. God, if there's any offensive way in me, please change it. Please do whatever you want to do to make me new and to make me better. So God, help us to have wisdom to know what that means. Help us to have ears that listen to what you're saying. Help us to have wisdom to know what this means. Help us to have courage to actually put it into practice and to live it out. God, I even know as we talk about things that are easy to say, it's easier to say this looking into a camera than it is for me to live it out at home. So God, help us all to do this. Help us to have the courage to actually live it out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.